Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. that there really is any debate in the scientific community that what's going on is a big, big deal. If people outside the scientific community want to say, well, the scientific community is still debating, you know, whether we're talking about 30% of the species going extinct or 60%, therefore I don't have to worry about it or I don't have to be concerned about it until they resolve those numbers. Um, you know, as I say, we're not going to resolve those numbers because this project is very much ongoing and we need to, you know, confront it before we get to 30% or 60% or wherever it is we're heading. Is humanity a planet-altering force? Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company. On tonight's show, Pulitzer Prize-winning author Elizabeth Colbert talks deforestation, ocean acidification and the science of climate change, as revealed in her arresting new read, The Sixth Extinction and a Natural History. And is it possible to explain the world through 20 masterworks on science? Best-selling writer and commentator Susan Weisbauer talks me through her must-read list. This is a show about truth and discovery, leadership and knowledge, rules of etiquette and the power of an apology. But first, are we living through the sixth extinction? Look around you, warns Elizabeth Colbert. Kill half of what you see. And if you're feeling generous, just kill about a quarter of what you see. That's what we could be talking about. Elizabeth Colbert is an award-winning American environmental writer and journalist. In 2006, Elizabeth became a household name for her award-winning book, Feel Notes from a Catastrophe, a startling but fascinating read on the escalating climate crisis. If you have not already read this book, I recommend you do. It's compelling, but be warned, this book is alarming, very alarming. Elizabeth's other books include The End of the Earth, an anthology of the finest writing on the Arctic and the Antarctic, Welcome to the Greenhouse, Science Fiction on Climate Change and the Best American Science and Nature Writing. Well, in April of this year, Elizabeth's latest publication, The Sixth Extinction and Unnatural History, won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for General Nonfiction. It's a terrific read, passionate and persuasive. Think quality investigative journalism, peppered with a bit of heavy-duty science and a bit of wandering in the Peruvian jungle. In The Sixth Extinction, Elizabeth writes... Among the many lessons that emerge from the geological record, perhaps the most sobering is that in life, as in mutual funds, past performance is no guarantee of future results. When a mass extinction occurs, it takes out the weak and also lays low the strong. Well, a few weeks ago, I got the opportunity to speak with Elizabeth. I put it to her. Two humans have a capacity to change the world around us and a capacity to destroy it. One of the real themes of the book is that change at the speed that humans are capable of of affecting it is really incompatible with the long, slow, 
stately, if you will, march of, of, of evolution, which depends on, you know, random mutations and is a very, very drawn-out process. So, you know, one of the, the messages of the book, obviously there's been a lot of, of change throughout the history of Earth, and, you know, creatures have adapted, and there there's still life on Earth, and there has been through some even very major upheavals, but the speed at which we are changing things is, is quite, you know, with the exception perhaps of, of the asteroid impact that wiped out the dinosaurs about 66 million years ago, the speed at which we are now changing the Earth may really be unprecedented. So essentially humanity has become a planet-altering force. And when you boil that down and we look at problems like ocean acidification and look at the problems of climate change, we have a lot to contend with, don't we? Yes. I mean, in that particular case, those are, as it were, two sides of, of the same coin. I mean, ocean acidification and climate change have the same root cause, which is that we are putting a lot, a lot of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. If we were to stop doing that, then both of those those problems would diminish. But there are a lot of other ways we're changing the world, you know, in, in, in addition to those two, we're radically altering the surface of the earth. We are, you know, just cutting down forests where lots and lots of creatures make their homes. We are fragmenting the landscape. So unfortunately, you know, it turns out that there is a lot to contend with. If you look at us as a planet-altering force, you can look at many different things that we're doing, many different ways that we're altering the planet. And all of those are potential and quite likely drivers of significant extinctions. Elizabeth, you say that the sixth extinction started about 120,000 years ago when man left Africa. And you say that pretty much straight from the start, man was a killer. I'm just wondering, within all of that, do you think we have some sort of psychological barrier to accepting the reality of the situation that we're living through today and that the concept of climate change and its impacts is so terrifying? We're in such a state of fear and anxiety that we can't really digest the facts of it all. Well, I, I think you could argue the flip side of that. I mean, we have been at this world-altering, extinction-producing project, if you will, for quite a long time. I mean, maybe not all the way since we left Africa, but we, uh, you know, there's very good evidence that what are called anatomically modern humans, which is us, did in our near, very nearest relatives, which were the Neanderthals, about 30,000 years ago. So, so we've been at this project you know, for quite a long time. And there's, you know, very good evidence that as soon as humans hit places like Australia or places like North America, there was a very significant wave of extinctions ensued. And yet human life uh, goes on. In fact, there are more of us than there have been ever, ever before, roughly 7.3 billion of us. So I think Another possible explanation for why we have trouble absorbing the, the, the magnitude of what we're doing is we're not doing it exactly to ourselves. We know we're doing it to everything else on the planet. Um, if you were a bird or if you were a large mammal or if you were even maybe, you know, a butterfly, you would feel the magnitude of these changes probably much more directly and even viscerally than humans, which have, you would have to argue, done quite well through all this. Now, some people reading your book will say that you're trying to raise alarm in some ways and that some of the information is disputed because the facts are very, you know, open to a lot of different interpretations. Some people think that 30% of our species are potentially facing a wipeout. Others will say 60% and there's lots of contradictory data. So I'm wondering what you say to all of that. 
Well, I think the question of whether we're wiping out 30% of the species on Earth or 60% of the species, I mean, that's obviously a very large difference. But, you know, it's the same order of magnitude that we're talking about. And that is a very, very, very significant thing to be doing. It is, I think, inarguably the most significant legacy that humans will leave on planet Earth. And I would actually have to say that there's very little debate about that. I mean, there's very little debate that we are going through a spasm of extinctions that has not been seen, you know, for quite, quite some time. Now, exactly what proportion of Earth species we are going to wipe out before it's over is, of course, debatable. And I'd say go beyond debatable. It's unknowable because we are not done with this project yet. But I don't think that it's at all, you know, alarmist to say that what we're doing is very dramatic and at the very least people ought to be aware uh, that this is happening. Do you not think, though, that when people put out, you know, about the uncertainty of all the facts, that that in a way is a massive cop-out? Yes, I agree. I think that, that that is just a way of saying I don't want to think about this. I mean, as I say, if you talk really to anyone who's actually looking at the question of biodiversity or, or, or whatever you want to call it, conservation, you know, the state of other species, let's say the state of the planet, they will tell you that what we are doing, our effects are causing radical reductions in animal populations, certainly, which is a precursor to species extinction. I don't think that there really is any debate in the scientific community that what's going on is a big, big deal. If people outside the scientific community want to say, well, the scientific community is still debating, you know, whether we're talking about 30% of the species going extinct or 60%, therefore I don't have to worry about it or I don't have to be concerned about it until they resolve those numbers. Um, You know, as I say, we're not going to resolve those numbers because this project is very much ongoing and we need to, you know, confront it before we get to 30% or 60% or wherever it is we're heading. Now, Elizabeth, you've travelled to some terrific locations, I have to say. Can you talk me through some of the more shocking cases? Well, one, one of the real, you know, sort of ironies of the book is that in researching it and in going out with people who are looking for the impact of, of, of humanity on planet Earth, I, I went to really some of the most remote and most remarkable places on planet Earth. So that was sort of one of the odd pleasures of writing this book. And I think that one experience that really, really has, has stuck with me and that I think about practically every day is I went to the Great Barrier Reef, which is really one of the most extraordinary places on Earth, uh, the largest reef on the planet, and just an extraordinary diversity of life. You know, coral reefs are sometimes called the rainforests of the, of the oceans, but really, you know, they're more diverse than rainforests on a, on a per square meter basis. And when you look down on a reef from above, you're seeing an amazing array of living creatures, just fantastically beautiful. And there are predictions from all sorts of scientists who may disagree about a lot of other things that the Great Barrier Reef and really indeed all coral reefs are going to be in really, really bad shape roughly around the middle of the century if we keep doing what we're doing. And and the idea that we could destroy something that's as huge and as grand and has as long a history as the Great Barrier Reef in a matter of a few decades is really, really sobering. 
Now, Elizabeth, you quote the iconic American writer Rachel Carson and her book Silent Spring. That was published in 1962. So when we look at what she said then and what we're living through now, is it a problem that we have with leadership, maybe creativity, vision, that we're still sitting on these problems? Well, I think they're very, very deep problems. I mean, I certainly think that there's a problem with leadership in the world today. There's a problem with creativity. There's a problem with, you know, people having very, very large vested economic interests in the system running, you know, the way it does now, even despite its obvious destructive capabilities. There's the fact that there's 7.3 billion people in the world right now, and all of us, you know, would like to eat, and all of us would like a decent standard of living, and only some of us have that at this point, and all of that takes some kind of resources away from other creatures. So I don't, I don't have a simple answer to that question, and it, it really goes back to what we were saying before. This project has actually been going on for quite a long time. People are very good at consuming the resources that used to be there for other species. We used to do that just by taking, you know, killing some mammoths, uh, and we managed to do in, you know, the mammoths probably that way. But now we are expanding. Now there are so many more of us, and our technologies are so much better, and we're scooping up you know, a lot of the resources from the ocean. We're raising the rainforest so that we can plant crops for ourselves to eat. And when when you do that, when you are just consuming a lot of the world's resources, there's simply less and less resources for other species to consume. And, you know, that's the situation that we find ourselves in. And there's no easy way to say, okay, uh, if we just did X or Y, that would stop because it's ingrained very much, unfortunately, in the way we all live right now and the fact that there are so many of us. Now, you end the book on a very powerful note and you say we are deciding without quite meaning to which evolutionary pathways will remain open and which forever will remain closed. No other creature has ever managed this and it will unfortunately be our most enduring legacy. That's frightening. Well, you know, that that was definitely the, the intention and really what I hope that the book accomplishes is that it brings, you know, these issues which people read about in a fragmentary sort of way, oh yes, you know, either this species is going extinct or that species is going extinct, or oh yes, we're cutting down the rainforest, or oh dear, coral reefs are in trouble, and that they sort of get it in this bit-by-bit, drip-by-drip way, and, and then turn away from it, that it brings it home to people that this is really what we're doing. It will have permanent effects, and when I say permanent, I don't mean, you know, permanent for my lifetime and your lifetime or our kids' lifetimes. I mean, for all time. And I think that's very, very chilling to people. And that is precisely the message that I would like people to get, um, because I don't think that there's any way that we're going to make any change in the way we're doing things until we at least come to consciousness that what we're doing is having these very, very big effects. And that it is on some level a choice for us, you know, whether we want to continue down this path or not. Thank you.
And that was award-winning environmental journalist and writer Elizabeth Colbert. The Sixth Extinction, An Unnatural History, is published by Bloomsbury and retails at about €12. Coming up next, the story of science, from the writings of Aristotle to the Big Bang Theory. But first, let's enjoy a bit of Gustavo Santa Olea.